Here we go. What's up, horror fans? Pete here from The Lasser Cast, where we talk about all of your favorite horror movies that are coming out in theaters or classics, and uh, we talk about streaming shows as well. I'm here with my co-host of the most, Dr. Zay's G, hanging out in his kitchen, drinking some coffee. Danny, are you ready to talk about some RoboDoc? I'm always ready to talk about RoboDoc. Uh, this is like the, the high point of the week. It's first full week back uh, to school, first full week with students. Every day this week I came home thinking, all right, I, I'm going to record a review. I'm going to record a video. And within like five minutes, I sat down. And I was like, I'm so tired. Yes, so, yes. So to be here with you on a Saturday morning talking RoboDoc is, is very nice. Very nice. Did you took the words right out of my mouth. I, I kept thinking, how am I going to start this video? And I was like, oh, it's my favorite time of the week, talking about RoboDoc. I, watching this documentary has been the highlight of my week for like the past three weeks. I'm just such a big fan of it. It's made me rewatch RoboCop. Uh, you know, they're doing something right here. They, they definitely like have kept this excitement level. And I think what's really interesting about this documentary, Danny, is that they really go through like every scene in the movie. And just like explain some sort of interesting aspect of like every scene in Robocop. I, I think what these filmmakers are just absolutely excelling at is understanding that genre fans, horror and sci-fi fans, we are the biggest nerds and we want to know everything. We like, I totally understand where for a, uh, there is a, a large percentage of the population that a, a docu-series or a documentary like this, like the In Search of Darkness series, because you put these four episodes together, this is effectively a four-plus-hour RoboCop documentary, right. which makes it feel very akin to either Crystal Lake Memories, which was like a six-hour Friday the 13th retrospective, or but like that's covering a franchise, you know, In right. Search of Darkness four plus hours but that's covering a decade of horror films this is four hours on one movie from the 80s but the thing is we're three episodes in we're over three hours in it never gets boring and like you said it's every part of this movie and so many of the this movie was made in 86 it was made in 86 released in 87 so we're talking 36 37 years ago and so many of these uh, actors and producers and writers and and the people that worked on this film are are still thankfully alive and well and talking heads in this and it makes it so much fun like you it's just like i like part of me during this episode was like i can't believe we're getting so much in in depth about the bob morton scene with the two women and the cocaine and i was like <laughs> And I was like, that's such a fun little scene that takes up maybe two and a half minutes of screen time in a, 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 a hundred minute movie, a hundred, like a, you know, a two hour movie. And we get to watch like 10 minutes of behind the scenes footage about it, which just makes me appreciate every little thing in that scene so much more. And it, it, this documentary series is giving RoboCop, which I, I don't think it needed uh, any more help being a rewatchable film, but it's giving it so much more 
rewatchability and replay value for me. I, I just rewatched it the other week. I can't wait to rewatch it again when I finish this series so that I can like, now, now it's going to be like, Oh, the, you know, uh, here's the other one that I was like blown away by the like Paul Verhoeven and Peter Weller deciding that RoboCop should be a fencer. And, and as he's shooting should have the back arm up. I'm like, yes. Oh, I never like, it's like those little things that like, and it's the, it's the, the geeky, you know, genre nerd in me that wants to know every little thing. It's like when I go to a horror convention and my mother will go, you paid $20 to get an autograph from a guy who didn't say any words and wore a mask in the movie. And I'm like, yeah, but ma, he played Jason. Don't you get it? Yeah. It's like, this is, this is like, it's like birthday cake for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you are a thousand percent right. Very good point. And part of being a fan of the genre of horror okay. and like sci-fi in general is that sometimes you can really be into the storytelling of it, the writing of it, the decisions that are made. And I am very much always impressed with changes they make to a script for the sake of the story. And one thing, I think probably the thing that excited me the most about this particular installment is when they talk about the sequence of events when RoboCop remembers that he's Alex Murphy. And the way that the show starts out, they, they say that it was originally going to be that RoboCop runs into Lewis. She says, you're Murphy, after seeing him spin his gun. Then he runs into uh, Emil, right, at the gas station. Right? That, that's his name, right? Emil is the, that thug? Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then and then he has that dream where he's like freaking out in the chair, where he's like, right? And and so Paul Verhoeven said, no, 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 we're gonna switch that sequence up. We're gonna have him have the dream first because that's his soul coming back into his body. Like they can take everything from Murphy, but they can't take his soul. And I just that just like clicked something for me, man. It's like this movie. I think I said this in our last installment, but. There's there's nothing bad about this movie. This movie is 36 years old. Maybe a little bit of the stop motion looks sort of dated, but I can even give that a pass. Like this movie is a solid movie. The dialogue is fantastic. It is it is like so good, and it, it, it owes so much to the people behind the scenes, particularly Paul Verhoeven. Yeah, uh, I mean they, they make a big point in this episode to credit the editor. I think uh, Frank Uriasti is his name, mm -hmm. uh, and and uh, of course Basil Polidorus, uh, the, who does the score. Who like the the RoboCop score is one of those '80s, late '70s, '80s pieces of music. We've said this that you hear it and you're you're instantly transported to oh that's the robocop score right. uh, and it didn't even um i knew i had heard the name basil basil polidorus before and then they mentioned of course conan the barbarian and i'm like of course that it makes perfect sense mm -hmm. uh but like to to talk about the editing uh the 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 director of photography has been in this several times uh throughout and how he had different inputs like again to go back to the scene with bob morton and the two girls where they're just like what should the bitches do should the bitches go here <laughs> and, and they had the two actresses who like they seemed like they were having a great time right. uh it's it, it it's funny how half of the the first couple episodes uh everybody seemed to be having a lot of issues uh 
And even in this episode, certain people were having a lot of issues with Paul Verhoeven, but then at the exact same time, people seem to be having a lot of fun with Paul Verhoeven on the set as their director. Right. And yeah. Yeah, he sounds he sounds extremely difficult to work with. They kept talking about one thing they mentioned in this episode and the previous episode is he's always like, They're trying to fuck me. Are you fucking me? You're gonna mess up my movie. And um, you know, one of the examples they use in this episode is when they're in the drug lab there's all this cocaine lying around and they have a man who they keep interviewing who is like the weapons master he's essentially like in charge of making sure all the weapons in the movie work correctly and he was talking about how paul verhoven wanted a guy to pull a gun out of some cocaine and he said that the gun wasn't going to work because the cocaine would be in the barrel and so they, they kept having this tension and the guy's like Paul Verhoeven's like, you want to fuck me? You're going to fuck me? And then the guy comes up to him one day and he's like, I am going to fuck you today at like 11 o'clock or whatever. And then Paul Verhoeven turns the whole set. He's like, see, when he fucks me, at least he tells me, you know? We get get a lot of my uh, Paul Verhoeven impersonation here today at uh, 7.20 in the morning. Thank you, thank you. Uh, But but I just want to make up one more point about Paul Verhoeven, though, is that uh, Peter Weller who they show quite a bit in this episode too, he makes this excellent point about Verhoeven, and it goes along with that scene I was talking about before. He says that you could hire an American director to make this movie, but this would not be the same movie without Paul Verhoeven, and it would not have the message. It wouldn't have the power behind it. And it's like he's so crucial to making Robocop what it is, you know? Yeah. I I also, speaking of like what makes Robocop, what it is that they spend almost the first uh 15 minutes of this episode it feels or the, it was in the first half hour spending so much time on the news segments with mm-hmm. like lisa gibbons uh and how those do such a good job of like editing through the movie and like breaking up scenes but in like a logical way mm-hmm. because of the way it, it makes it feel like uh like the way like a comic book would be written where you have like a break in the action but then like it everything is filled in in the middle and uh and, and i think they just the thing that i love so much about robocop is uh the the way that it critiques America in the 80s and how those news segments were perfectly designed like you would have them saying the worst things that were happening but both the male and female anchor would have these big smiles on their faces and how they even made like an in-joke to like Reagan possibly dying and <laughs> nobody even got it right, right, right. and and you know like you know to a lot of people in the 80s we were too young to really appreciate this but to a lot of people in the 80s reagan was this basically godlike savior figure uh he came in to the presidency his first act as president is you know bringing home the uh the the prisoners from uh, the iran uh that iran had uh captured during carter so he's like he, he like takes the oath of office and he's instantly a conquering hero uh the economy starts to bounce back of course but as the decades have gone by we we start to realize that the economy was kind of built on a you know you know you you built a uh, mansion on top of quicksand and uh and i think 
it, they were so upfront, like the writers, the script, and even Verhoeven as a European director, maybe like, maybe it was him having like, you know, not being an American and being able to like, you know, hey, if, if anybody complains, just throw it on me. I'm not American. Uh, but to be like ahead of the curve on like what Reagan really was. I made this point of, uh, I think in our first episode, this movie paired perfectly with They Live. Uh, they are such, they are such comparable films in, not in really anything about them other than there's sci-fi, but they are like corporate America is evil. Right. Corporate America is willing to, you know, buy and sell human beings, turn them into cyborgs. Uh, they're going to they control the police. And, you know, they're also going to have criminals on their, uh, you know, in, in their, in their pockets to do right. their bidding, to get rid of their enemies. And they live is like the corporate world is so evil. We're willing to work with aliens to help them take over earth as long as we stay rich. And it, you know, between this movie and Carpenter, of course, in, in They Live, these movies are so fucking ahead of the curve on that, like, political element and, and the commentary that they have. And, you know, it, it makes me think of, like, every time somebody gets mad at a movie and goes, movies are supposed to be entertainment, you know? Yeah, what, yes. why, why do you have to throw your politics at me in a movie? And I'm like, well, if you don't understand that movies have been doing that your entire life and for a 100 years you haven't really been understanding any of the movies you've watched. Uh, and like, this is a perfect example. Like there are probably a shit ton of people that love RoboCop because he looks cool and a lot of shooting and a lot of bang, bang and blood and, and, and cocaine. But right. you know, people who truly love this movie and, and watch it repeatedly and analyze documentaries about it. We, like you understand the commentary that the film has and yes they really the the way they incorporate the news footage uh the way that like uh, the way the script every like hard ass line has like a line of humor to really like lay in the satire of the situation right you know uh the way that they 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 talked about that stop motion uh dinosaur commercial yes. that they made yes. that they were so desperate to fit in and they yes. do it for the 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 car the yeah. sucks the sucks six thousand sucks six thousand yes <laughs> yes it, i mean that's the funny thing right is that like when you have a political message in a movie when it feels the worst it feels like you're when you're being hit over the head with it and yes, Robocop 100%. is it, it? It's it's the message is there in every single scene, but it's not like hitting you over the head. It's not preaching. It, it's it's a completely enjoyable, fun movie, but it has all these messages in it that are anti-corporation. You know, you bring up that that dinosaur commercial, and they talk about the commercials in this movie too. They, they talk about the dinosaur commercial for the car. They talk about Nukem. And there are all these like silly little moments where the audience is just laughing, but it is kind of commenting on the world that we live in. And I, I love the sucks uh, six thousand. I completely forgot about that when I rewatched the movie. I was like, oh my god, there's a car called the Sux six thousand. That's perfect. Um, it's funny because they mention it when they do that uh, uh, hostage scene with the mayor. They, the guy's like, oh, we'll get you a sucks six thousand. And it's so funny because. 
we're talking about how this is in the 80s, Reagan is around, it's this commentary, but one of the main things that the guy who's holding everyone hostage says, he's like, I demand a recount. Sounds kind of familiar, you know, someone demanding a recount. It's like, oh, I guess yeah. more things change, the more they... St- yeah, it's, prescient. It's ahead of it. Yeah, it's ahead yeah, of yeah. time, like, <laughs> literally. Yeah, and so it's this great moment, and and one of the things they say, I can't remember which person they're interviewing, which of the talking heads they're interviewing, but they're saying that Robocop essentially does these three stupendous acts. Like he does these three amazing kind of arrests. And then all of a sudden you have this sequence that's brought up with the, um, the newscast and the commercials and stuff. It's almost like this break. It's like this reprieve. And I love hearing about things like that in a movie because someone, whoever says it, they compare it to music. They say it's like a song and it's like there's kind of like a lull there. And I love that point because one of the reasons why a movie works is because of the pacing and the Mm -hmm. reaction. We cover so many documentaries talking about horror films. And uh, one of the things that they always talk about in horror film documentaries is when you give a scare, but then afterwards you have like some kind of joke to let the audience kind of loose that tension up and then you build that tension up again you know and it's it's clear that with this movie they're very aware of the pacing right and then mm-hmm. how to do this um i i just i love seeing peter weller get interviewed behind the camera because he's commenting on all of this stuff in particular yep. he's talking about how murphy he's been everything's been taken away from him by the corporation right and he's lost everything and it's just such great commentary God, what were you say? Oh no, no, I you, you kind of zipped. Oh, I cut out. So I was, uh. yeah, no, it, it might have just been on my end. But I, Peter Weller, uh, from the minute he showed up in episode one, he absolutely fascinates me as a person. You know, he every time he his he has one of those voices that I would love if I like bought an, a book on Audible and and it turned out he was the narrator of it. I would. I he could read me the yellow pages like that's yes. still I I just love his voice. Um, I brought I brought this up. He he does a documentary series for History Channel that I, I show my students a lot. Engineering and Empire, and he he just he's so much fun to listen to. And like I, I've had students who have been like, "Is that the guy who plays RoboCop?" I'm like, "Yes, that yes, kid's getting is. a good grade." Yeah. Um, <laughs> I love the story about uh, all the behind the scenes. Uh, hanky panky that was going on, and I like that Peter Well, and yeah. I like that Peter Weller was very quick to say, "Hey, I was a single guy, and it was uh, you know whatever." Yeah, <laughs> but like it, also that like four couples got together on this yeah. movie. If, I uh, Peter, guy, if Peter I, Weller's I, I, trailer is knocking, uh, rocking, don't come a knocking, right? I, I work with a guy who's like, yeah, you know, you, you don't shit where you eat, and I'm like, no, you always shit where you eat because th- those are the the people that you hang out with the most. And that's, I mean, like Athena and I met at a school that we worked at and it's like, you know, it, that's what happens. Like you're, if you, I, I imagine that like a movie set is just a more fun outdoor version sometimes of like a school or like a law office where it's like the people that you're surrounded by every day and you're in the trenches with, you build relationships with and you know, mm-hmm. shit happens. and. and <laughs> Apparently, shit yeah. happened a lot to Peter Weller, man. And it's it's funny because they spend so much time in the previous episodes talking about how difficult it is to wear the suit. They were saying that like he would sweat off like 
pounds of sweat like every time you'd wear the suit it's so difficult to get him in it and meanwhile this guy's just banging people left and right you know you're thinking like i like, is he banging people in imagine. the suit <laughs> i can't even imagine what he went through like you you know texas heat but yes. to be in texas heat in like that heavy ass suit walking around for like hours at a time uh i mean I was a, I was a high school wrestler and I had to drop weight. Mm -hmm. Like there were times where like I'd wake up, I'd weigh myself in the morning, I'd have to weigh 140 pounds for the weigh-in uh, at the match in the afternoon, and I was like 143. Yeah. And I would go I would go to school, leave school uh, at the end of my day, go to the gym, put on like three sweatshirts, three pairs of sweatpants, a wool hat, get on the bike for 30 minutes, go sit in the steam room for 30 minutes. And like I would come out of that, and there were days where I legit lost like five to six pounds of water weight in an hour. Wow! Wow! wow. But like, but I was doing it like on purpose with a. But like to to do it to like be in in a place like Dallas where it's one hundred and five degrees on a good day, and you're yeah. wearing a suit that makes it feel like you're it's almost one hundred and twenty five. I think he said. Yeah. I mean. And then he came back for the sequel, which I, 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 you know, all the, the hard work he put in for this movie. And then he said to himself, yeah, I'll do it again is just crazy to me. Cause he's not actually in part three In part three, it's a different actor, right. uh, but he did come back for the sequel. And I mean, Nancy Allen did too, but, and, and I'm sure there were a lot of other behind the scenes people, but it, it it's crazy to me that, you know, he went through this. Yeah. He kind of, I think he says something like it was like his crucible or like his burden. He uses some kind of wording to be like, you know, he took it on. He knew it was going to be this ridiculously difficult thing. And um, I, this isn't the first time that I've heard people talk about how amazing Peter Weller's physical acting in Robocop is. And this scene, this um, episode has yet another great example. They do the sequence where, uh, he goes back to his old house and he's like having flashbacks while he's going through his old house and it's empty. And and they, the the guy who like kind of trained him to do specific movements, he, he brings up how when Robocop um, is moving slowly, when there's like kind of slow gestures, slow movements, that means that he's kind of having a like a positive memory or he's kind of lost in a good memory. Then when he moves his head very suddenly and abruptly, that, that communicates he's like angry. And and you, they show scenes of it right after that. And it's like, oh, yes, exactly. It's like there's no words whatsoever. It's just literally the way he moves his body that's conveying the emotion in that scene. So, so good. So good. And, and yeah, so speaking uh, of, I, I think we should um, talk about Kurtwood Smith a bit because they do talk about uh, Cl Clarence Bodiger in this episode a bit too. And he's another one where I'm like, this is just perfect fucking casting for a person in this movie. Oh, I mean, one thing I was noticing, like this is a movie, this movie might have the most really cool bad guys Oh yeah. Uh, oh yeah. I mean, when you think about who are the bad guys in this movie, you have the wrecking crew, Clarence Boddicker, Dick Jones, yep. uh, even the old man at OCP isn't a good character. Um no. uh, uh, Miguel Ferrer Bob Morton is an asshole, uh, who you hate <laughs> on you know, 
and and you kind of root for him to die, even though it's the other bad guys killing him. You have uh, the factory full of gangsters and drug lords. Yeah, it, it, it's just you know there's there are so many bad guys in this movie. You have the two rapists on the street, the one who gets shot in the dick. And Clarence stands out pretty much above all of them. And I think it's, I think it's the re, I think we brought this up once before, but like the idea of casting Robert Patrick in Terminator 2 or the reason that James Cameron wanted originally Lance Henriksen to play the Terminator in the original film, because there's something in it, there's something innately scary about a normal looking person being so fucking evil and unstoppable. And yeah. like they jokingly, they, they like this episode, they, I think they said he looks like a, uh, an accountant. Uh, right. And then they, and then they show up and then uh, somebody, I think Kurtwood Smith even said, apparently I was also supposed to look like Himmler. And, and I'm like, Oh, he's like, I didn't know I was supposed to be a Nazi. Uh, right, right. The, and then but, I think what they compare him to some guy named the Jackal, right? Who's uh, oh, yeah, yeah, right. They said that he was the inspiration for the cast, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, he's he's fantastic. Um, and the, all the little, all the little touches that yeah. it seems like he added himself. Like, he 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 mentioned that in I think last episode when they talked about the wrecking crew, like the and stuff like that, and then like. You know, hey Paul, can I spit on the? Uh, uh, I love that know, at the police station. Yes, and, and that, all that's, the little, you know. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite parts of this episode. Yeah, and that's one of my favorite parts of this episode is that like he had blood in his mouth, and the rest of the actors didn't know that he did, and they didn't know he was going to spit, and he just spits right on there, and you see their reactions on their faces. They're like, oh. Shit, I love in movies when like the rest of the people don't know what's gonna happen, but like maybe one person does. Um, they also in that scene they talk about how um Kurtwood Smith like kind of threw himself up against the desk because Robocop, if he's gonna push you, you're gonna go flying. And he broke two of his ribs throwing himself up against the desk. And one of the cops notices that he's like hurt, but he just plays it off, he just kind of like pretends like nothing's going on. And he gives him this look. His look is so fucking good when he looks at the other cop. And the look is kind of like, yeah, I know you know, but just shut the fuck up. It's it's so good. And he says, I get my phone call. Like, yeah, you are a thousand percent right. Like his little touches that he adds are so great. And they go into detail about it when they do that sequence in the drug lab where there's the kind of the face off between him and that guy, Sal. And they're basically kind of like comparing dicks with each other. And, you know, he does the thing where he, like, sticks his finger in the guy's wine. And the guy, once again, improv, he's like, well, I'm going to drink the wine to show how badass I am. You know, it, it's just all these little touches. And, you know, I think they were saying, like, that whole scene was just chock full of ad-libbing, the two of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it just, again, it's like, the, the next time I rewatch this movie, it's, it, it I, I'm going to just be thinking with every little scene that we watch in this series, like, Oh, the that was ad libbed. Like, oh, that was something that he added that Verhoeven said, let it stay in. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's all these neat little things, and it's like it's it's birthday cake. It's it's stuff that I'm so happy we get to watch. You know, it, getting to it, these are the types of documentaries that I I friggin 
love. Like I'm this is yeah. why I'm so glad we cover the In Search of Darkness and In Search of Tomorrow on the channel. I mean, even if we didn't have a channel, I'd be watching and collecting right. these things. Like right. I, I yeah, like this is and, and and I've I've made this point uh before. This is a reason this series is a reason to pay Screenbox. This is for, ah. for anybody who it for, for anybody who's on the fence, and I want to make this clear, Screenbox is not paying me. Please, if you'd like to, we'll take it. But, <laughs> I, you know, for for the three years that we've had this channel now, we've been, you know, we cover a ton of Shutter stuff, all, all tons and tons of Shutter stuff. Screenbox has always been, you know, they've been like that secondary horror streaming channel the last year or so they have leveled that playing field. And if there's any horror fan or, or genre fan, sci-fi fan who's thinking to themselves, you know, um, do I have enough money for one more streaming service? You put something like this out on your channel and you are inviting fans to, you know, do a, a monthly subscription. You know, I think it's four ninety nine a month. Uh, I think you can even do like, half year plans or full year plans to make it less money but it's these are the types of shows and movies that you know you, they make you consider putting your money down on a channel you know we covered uh the barn and the barn 2 which are on there we covered mm-hmm. the outwaters which is on there uh terrifier 2 and and terrifier are on there uh, it, uh they have that amazing Robert Englund documentary as well by these same filmmakers. So yeah. it, it's, it, it's a channel that is on the rise. And if you're a genre fan, a horror fan, I, I definitely think, you know, and there's, uh, it, it's, it's sad that there's only one more episode of this. Yeah. 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 I know. Yeah. Cause they're enjoying it so much. You know, it's funny um, because you just listed so many different things. I'm like, wow, we really did cover a lot from Screenbox this year. You know, and I, I was a part of most of them too. Um, I can't even, wow, it's, the Outwaters is on there too. That's crazy. It kind of blows my mind. But like, um, one of the things that's great about watching this sort of episodic thing and watching it on Screenbox is that even the episodes end with like kind of cliffhangers, right? Because <laughs> like they go into uh, the Dick Jones character a bit in this episode and, and a couple of interesting things about that. They, the sequence where Dick Jones confronts uh, Joe Morton in the bathroom is a couple of things I really liked. One was uh, who's the actor that plays Dick Jones again? Uh, Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox, thank you so much. Ronnie Cox is talking about Miguel Ferrar because, uh, you know, Miguel Ferrar, you were saying how most people are still alive. Unfortunately, Miguel Ferrar is yeah. dead, right? And, and he, he was yeah. a he was a big guy in Twin Peaks, too, if you ever want to see more of him. But um, he, Ronnie Cox is talking about how Miguel Ferrar didn't want him to touch his hair when he was intimidating him. And they show Ronnie Cox is going and grab his hair real tight. And he's like, don't fuck with me or whatever he's saying, right? Um that sequence that they talk about, they were mentioning how the executives, the producers were getting nervous about the movie because the budget kept going up. And so they showed them that scene to kind of show like the idea behind the movie and what the acting looked like and the set design. And like that scene sold them and let them keep making the movie without issues. And um, yeah. I, when I'm, I remember watching that scene again recently and I, I, it kind of threw me off because the perspective at one point, the the camera is from like Ronnie Cox's foot 
while he's taking a shit in the stall. And I'm like, oh, my God. I don't think I've seen a shot like that ever. And uh, it's, it's such a great scene, such an intimidating scene. I love it. Everything's great about, like, Miguel Ferrer looking and, and watching people run out of the restroom. The one guy who's talking shit, he leaves the restroom, and you can tell his pants are still soaking wet with urine. It, it's such a great, great yeah. scene. And it, it goes yeah. so so well with that scene when they do kill Joe Morton. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Bob Morton. And then oh, – oh, what's that? Bob, Bob oh, Morton. Isn't, isn't there a fucking actor, the guy that's in Terminator 2 yeah. that, that created Term, Skynet, uh, right? Miles, Miles Dyson. Miles Dyson. Joe Morton, yeah. So Bob Bob Morton, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so they, they kill him, and then it's funny because like the very last shot of this episode is like uh, Ronnie Cox being like, I had to take care of Bob Morton the, you know, this time. I, now I have to finish his mistake, and it's like that's setting up the conclusion of the movie. You know, it's so perfect, this little cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I, I, I'm very excited to get to uh, the final episode. But I, I I, even feel like, you know, Chris Chris always makes this point with like a really good genre documentary like the In Search of Darkness ones where like RoboCop itself, this feels like something you can just throw on at any time where it's like you're bored, you're, you're tired, and you just want to throw something. You're doing some work at home. You just want to throw something on in the background to have the TV on. Like this is a perfectly fun thing to have on in the background where you'll do some work and then you'll look up and the next thing you know, 20 minutes will be gone and you'll be laughing at stories that you've heard before about RoboCop. Um, But yeah, uh, one one more episode and uh, I can't wait until Tuesday, uh, which is the 19th, I believe, looking, turning my head to my calendar. Tuesday the 19th is the last episode of this on Screenbox. That's when it uh, goes up on there and then we'll be back next saturday morning uh to knock out our last uh review and final thoughts on the series as my cat walks right by the screen (laughs) (laughs) yeah i'm I'm looking forward to it man this has been one of the pleasures of doing this show with you and uh yeah we want to tell everyone else what we there goes a cat again okay (laughs) um but i was gonna say do you want to tell people well actually this week you were saying it's kind of light because you've gone back to work and you have some people so sick at your house I, too. I have things. I have things that I'm planning. I just I have to come home from work and my my work schedule changed. I get out a little bit later now, which means I get home a little bit later, which means mm. I'm more tired when I get home. But uh, I I would like I'm planning to do at least a short. 30 to 60 second review of The Nun Part 2, which I saw this week. Uh, I'm planning on doing a kind of Lassercast fall preview. Uh, There's so many cool things that we're going to be covering. Speaking of episodic things, uh, we have Mike Flanagan's The Haunting of... No, not The Haunting of. The uh, Fall of the House of Usher, which is coming to Netflix. Uh, We have uh, the return of both Chucky and Creepshow, uh, this fall as well, coming up in a, in a couple of weeks, I think three, four weeks, uh, yeah. New York comic-con is coming up. There's a ton of horror, uh, programming slated the Friday of comic-con is Friday the 13th of October. So Perfect. I think they purposely threw a ton of horror stuff out there. There's John Carpenter will be there. There's going to be a John Carpenter spotlight. So, uh, I'm going to be very busy in the weeks coming up. Uh, I also just got passes. Uh, I also just bought tickets and uh, to a bunch of Brooklyn Horror Fest 
films that are going to be coming out uh, in mid-October. Uh, very exciting uh, time. Uh, Jen Wexler's The Sacrifice Game is the final film of Brooklyn Horror Fest, and I got my tickets to that. Uh, she, she directed uh, The Ranger, which is over on Shudder. Awesome movie um, uh, and I, that I reviewed and uh, interviewed her and Jeremy Holm, uh, one of the actors, uh, back when I was with Geeks of Doom. So I, I'm really excited for that. So yeah, there's uh, so much stuff coming up. But definitely this week, uh, The Nun Part 2, short review, and a little bit of a fall preview uh, for us. Yeah. So even though Danny's life is super busy, he's always throwing up episodes onto our channel. And I just disappeared. Can you hear me, Danny? Yep. Can you hear me? Okay, good. Okay. I, yep. I, I don't see me there. Okay, I'm back. I'm back. <laughs> but we're always putting out stuff. It, he and I get together at least once a week to talk about some kind of big thing. And then he is constantly putting up co uh, content on our channel. So if you have not subscribed to Lastercast, please do. And let us know what you guys think about this documentary, too. Did we miss anything in our little coverage? All right, guys. Thank you so much. And we will see you guys real soon.